0: Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. On a more um, liturgical Sunday, it seems appropriate to uh, do a little bit different greeting. The Lord be with you. Excellent. Um, uh, we don't even practice that around here, but so many of us um, have experienced that, and so that's. Um, we'll be looking over the next few weeks as we move into the Nativity season. You'll see where that comes from, where that call and response comes from. So um, you can be looking forward to that. Well, this is um, we've, we've kind of wanted to do this throughout the years, this idea of taking a whole Sunday and stepping outside of the normal sermon series and all that kind of stuff and really emphasizing what is going on um, when we do these different um, activities within the church. Um, years ago, uh, Pike Weiser and I taught a series called Weird Things Christians Do. And uh, it included some of these things. You could go back maybe and look at that on uh, the website. But um, so that you know, like we, when very often, if we don't explain or we don't understand what we're doing when we do certain activities in the church, they just turn into um, really just kind of religious actions or, or kind of rote behaviors. And we don't we don't ever want that to happen. So probably um, the, the plan is that about four times a year. Um, we're gonna we're gonna take an entire Sunday, set it aside, and emphasize these main um, kind of behaviors, these these sacraments, these holy activities, these um, these things that we do as a church, and explain what we're doing, why we do them, what the biblical background is, even what the history of them are, and uh, and it'll be di- a little bit different every time we do it. We may emphasize different ones today. We're gonna spend a few minutes on each of these three things, about ten minutes on each one. So um, as we're looking at these different things. And we want you to know what it is we're doing, why we do them, etc. So, um, first one we're going to be looking at is what we call parental dedication um, at this church. And I'm going to explain why we call it that as we talk through this. Now, many of you may be from a church background, for example, that had infant baptism um, or christening, um, depending on the different denominations. Um, That was uh, early on in the church. the, the, The early church fathers, within a few generations after the disciples had all died... Um, the early church started the practice of baptizing infants, and, and there's debate over how that happened or why it happened, but it, it seems like here's kind of was the thinking early on was that, and we're going to look at this, was that for the Jewish family, um, very quickly a child, a, a boy was circumcised, and so this was meant to communicate, this, is now, these, this child is now one of the people, they are one of us. And so, as the early church was so strongly linked to Judaism, and, and obviously because Jesus Christ was a Jew and, and he taught that way, and so very, the early church, many of them were Jewish, and as more and more of them were Greeks and Romans and other nationalities, they wanted a way to communicate something similar to that. Um, and so, what they began doing was they began baptizing infants, christening infants. The word christening means... Um, hey guys, um, when the word christening means, uh, by the way, I'm gonna just uh, a perfect time to comment on this. Y'all are good, don't worry. Um, is that because uh, I, I had someone after the first service come say, so like when we when we go outside at the end of the service and do baptism, we had someone come up and say, "I'm so sorry, our kid was making noise out there." We say this regularly, but I'll say it again right now in the perfect timing. Like we we are never never bothered by that. Um, we are so blessed to have children all over the place here that the noises and the, the, the things that kids do since they're kids, is something we rejoice in. There are churches all over America that would give a building to have those noises in their church. Um, So we know we are blessed to have kids um, acting like kids in our church because that means we have kids in our church, and it is a huge blessing. So to continue going, so don't, just as a side note, every once in a while you'll have somebody get worried about that kind of thing, and I'm just telling you, don't. In fact, it's, if you're one of those people who has that tendency in your gut that when a kid is making noise over here, that you kind of cut your eyes over at their mom, you know? <laughs> that probably means there's something wrong with your heart that needs to be dealt with. Um, so so let's, not, let's not be doing that here. So um, back to this. So in Leviticus, for example, I'm going to come back to that. But the, in Leviticus chapter 12... Um, we see this, these instructions are being given to the Jews very early on. When the days of her purifying, meaning the, the mother, um, are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, at that time a tabernacle, not a temple, um, a, lamb, uh, a lamb a year old for burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for sin offering. In particular, the firstborn child had a special role. Um, they were consecrated to God in particular. In Exodus 13, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, is mine. Now, we consecrate every child and every, and not just the child, the family. We consecrate the family here. And so we're going to, I'll talk more about that, explain more about that here in a minute. This is what Jesus' parents were doing in Luke chapter 2. So in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, This is what you, when you're reading, when you're going through nativity, you're going to see this verse, and now you'll understand the roots of it. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So they were consecrating Jesus as a good Jewish Family, Just like they would with any firstborn of any of man or animal in Israel. So we believe in doing that. So the early church, I think, made a little bit of a a misstep. And so in order to replace circumcision, what they replaced circumcision with was baptism. And I actually think there's a different, when we talk outside in a few minutes about baptism, I'll explain what I think baptism and, uh, and circumcision, what they have in common with each other, what, what maybe should have been done. But in this situation, that's what happened, is that that began to be taught. And here's what it was. So a parent would bring their child um, up, their baby to the church, and the, the priest would, would dip water on their head or do something like that in a way of communicating, this child is now one of us, just like the early Jewish people were doing Over time, the theology on that began to expand, and then soon it was called christening, which literally means bringing to Christ, and came to mean at this point the child was now saved. Because they had joined the church, they were now a member of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is saved. That's what, they. That's what over time, that began to develop. And again, there's different ways of looking at this. But um, this, this, I think, and in the Baptist world, one of the things that began to separate the Baptists apart, not only from the Roman Catholic Church, but even from many of the other Reformers and Protestants, was that we taught that believers are to be baptized, not babies. That being said... We really think we need to find a way to identify, to consecrate, to bless families and babies. And so this is, this is why we do what we call here parental dedication. Is that it's the whole family being consecrated with the child. In fact, we are coming alongside them as a group. We're all saying that. And children need to learn from us. They need us in their lives. To be a father is to live out to exemplify the paternal traits of God. To be a mother is to exemplify the maternal traits of God. And we know, and I'm going to get to Deuteronomy 6 here in a minute, that that's our job as families first. It's not the job of the church first. It's the job of the families first to train this. And so um, I'm, going to, I'm going to call um, Ella Keeling up onto the stage real quick. So if you'll come up on the stage with me, I'm going use you as an example. Come on. Move, girl. Move. All right. So, um, hear this verse. This is an important verse from Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Um, So, Ellie, you got to listen in particular. Come on up. Um, Hear my son, or in this case John's daughter, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head. So, the idea of a garland, a garland, it's like a, a victor's crown is how this was treated. So, um, a, gar- a beautiful garland for her head. I will need that back. But <laughs> um, now, and it says a graceful pendant for your neck. So here, this one you get to keep. Um, your dad thought she'd like this one best. Make sure I've got it on the right direction. Yeah, there we go. So notice that so if Ella is wearing this, if she were to wear these... Grab your hair for me. I don't want to catch it in this. If she were to wear these, this would be something she would see regularly. You'd think with two daughters I could have had this done by now. There we go. Okay, good. So notice, stand there for just a second. So notice with Ella that, that if she's looking in the mirror, she's going to see this, and it's going to, that's what the teaching of your parents is like. And by the way, you all had parents, Right? This isn't just for the child at the age of a child, but to remember what your parents have taught you. And when we get to to the degree your parents are living out this paternal traits and maternal traits of God, those are things you need to experience. They need to see this. Listen to me. We lose kids when they go off to college largely because their parents' marriage stunk. Because their parents were hypocrites. They're not willing to bend before God and His leadership. They're not willing to sacrifice for their wife or submit to their husband, and so they don't see it. They don't. They don't. They just like you know what those passages don't apply to me, and so you're, the kids see they see this great thing at church, and then they they go home and they see something totally different. Those are not a beautiful thing for her to look at in the mirror and to think about who she is in this and what this means for her and what her dad has said to her and what her mom has said to her. Whereas the pendant and the crown are something that would be memorable, you would see them over and over again. It would be a reminder to you of what God is teaching you. We've got to repent of that in such a way that our kids see that. Thank you, you did an excellent job. I'm stealing that back from you. You did a great job. Thank you. So, yes, well done. You can applaud. She did a good job. Her first modeling gig right there. So, Um, And here's the thing. Not only do we need kids around, do we need, our kids need to be here at the church to be around because, by the way, no one person can live out all the paternal traits of God. No matter how good a dad I could be, I could never live out all the paternal traits of God. My kids need other men in their lives to see other aspects of of, of God's character that I might not be great in or other women in their lives that as good a mom as Ginger is, there's going to be some traits that other women are going to have to step in and exemplify as well. We need that. That's why we need a church, a congregation, to engage with us and come alongside us. Now, that being said, we also need to learn from them. Listen to this from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And when we talked about marriage stuff this last Sunday, and we talked about, you know, what do you, what do, you do when you disagree? And what it comes back to is, well, can you humble yourself like a child? Can you seek God beyond your own desires and wants? Can you trust? Next Sunday afternoon, my friend David Smalley, who's an atheist, who we've talked to on the phone, never gotten to meet him until this next week, I will, where he's going to be here on Sunday afternoon, um, in that afternoon, and we're going to, he and I are going to do a kind of a point-counterpoint conversation. But if you come, and I, I hope you will come, and I hope you will be incredibly kind to him and any of his friends who come. Um, because that's who we are. That's making difference who they are. That's who we are. But one of the things you're going to see is this desire to evaluate God, to judge God, to decide that I know better than God. That is what keeps someone, what keeps many of us from ever putting our faith in God, is that we can't accept God like we are children. We can't just accept that he knows what he's doing. That's the thing that lacks for so many. The calling of a family is a holy calling. Each of us, we need to live out this example with our lives. No one person can exemplify the traits of God. We all need it. We need spiritual parents. All of us do. Listen to Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. This, this is a great prayer, by the way. Listen to the second part of this. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. This is why we, we invite one another to work with one another's children this is a prayer we should be praying don't let me die until i have poured out my life teaching the truth of you to another generation till so we've done that 2 timothy 2 1 and 2 says you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in christ jesus and what you have heard from the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also Maybe the key passage about discipleship right here, but that's what we're doing as parents. That's what we're doing with one another's kids is we're taking what we have learned and teaching it to them so that they can teach it to a next generation and they can teach it to a next generation and they can teach it to a next generation as it's been going on for 2,000 years. And that's what we're called to, to live this out. And the one we default to around here constantly Um, that you're used to hearing every time we do a parental dedication. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. This is the key passage for the Jewish people. This is what made them stand apart from all the other religions, from all the other peoples, was this verse. And listen to what it's followed with immediately. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk about them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you will bind them like a sign on your hands and they'll be like frontlets between your eyes and you'll write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. This is what we're called to. Moms and dads, grandmothers and grandfathers, aunts and uncles. This is is what we're called to in the family. To live this out for these kids so that they will see it. To use our words to teach it, to use our behaviors to show it. This, this should be plenty to unify anybody who has children. You don't have time to do anything but this. If you, if, if you To be distracted by other things, for us to be focusing on so much of this. Um, really want to encourage you, for, for all of us, and for myself, that we are doing this and doing this for one, not only for our children, but also for one another's children. So I'm going to turn over to Rebecca, and we've got some families that we're going to dedicate them. And so I, I want you to have all this in your mind. And understand. This is why we do this as a church. And when we stand at one point... And we speak, this is what we're speaking to.
1: It's my joy today to introduce you to three families we have. We're actually going to start with the Longinots. Um So we have Travis and Chantel and their drummer boys, um, Jackson, and they're dedicating Micah today. And so each family uh, took the time to pick out a verse. The verse uh, is something they're praying over their family and specifically this child. So what verse did y'all pick for Micah? You know what? It helps when you turn them on. Let me just, there you go. So we chose Philippians 2, verses 3 and
0: 4. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others.
1: Amen. Knowing the characters of the Longinos, that verse does not surprise me at all. And then we're going to have an emeritus. We have Matt and Mallory, and they're dedicating Miss McKenna this morning. And they, as well, chose a verse. Good morning. We chose Second um, Peter 1, 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, into goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self-control, into self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, mutual affection, Mm -hmm. into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will be keeping you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ amen thank y'all Oh, making sure she knows that and then we have stephanie and um, stephanie is bringing up miss Rinley eleanor kate her husband uh, michael is actually overseas at this moment i'm um, working in afghanistan and then she checked the rest of her crew into class uh will larkin evangeline and Scarlett. well yeah will larkin evangeline scarlet there we go. And then Miss Eleonora, Miss Rinley Eleonora. So, will you share with us? Um, yes. Michael picked First um, Corinthians 2 9. Um, but as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. Thank you all. So, we, we had these moments, these families take the time to pick. Uh, a prayer and for that conversation between um, a husband and wife to say, what are we praying over our child and things? And one of the things we want our church to know is, you know, we have these three pillars. We say we uh, hospitality, discipleship, and devotion. And today we get to experience all those things. But I think this moment we're calling our parents and their families to remember something. Y'all have a blessing from God and y'all get to steward it. You have to be devoted to the stirring. McKenna's doing some motions to some music over here. It's great. Um, and, and, And so this is the moment as a church, we get to make sure they know we'll support them. But we also get to stand um, and affirm each other to say, I'm here for you. That is part of being the church. That is part of being the community of God. And so we're going to have this moment. We'll ask all the the families that are doing the dedication and their people with them to stand and we'll read these lines. And it says, we are blessed and and all these things. And so y'all can stand now and then we'll have the church join us in that as well. So let's pull that up. The children you hold are a gift from your heavenly Father. Before the thought of a child entered your minds, the Lord had already determined their birth and their coming home to you, that you would be parents. Their life, therefore, is an occasion to celebrate and to reflect on God's goodness. What is your response? Scripture commands you as parents to teach your child about the Lord Jesus Christ. Only then will your child be equipped for the challenges of this life. But your child's spiritual wearable will not be accomplished simply by telling him about Jesus. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your own life that will guide you to the wisdom and creativity to communicate the message of God's love and saving power. Do you desire to be transformed by Jesus and proclaim this in your home? What is your response? Amen. Church, let us stand together and affirm these families as well. As a church, we are all part of the family of God. As a family, we need to work alongside each parent in their efforts to portray Christ to their child. Let us arise to the call of being brothers and sisters in Christ that exhibit godly characteristics and thus be a support for what is being taught at home and what is being taught at church. Church, what is your response? As a family, we must be willing to hold one another accountable and confront one another when sin enters our lives in order that purity and integrity of our commitments are upheld. You have heard these parents affirm their calling. Will you now acknowledge their commitment and declare your hope and willingness to help them? Help them keep their promise. Church, what is your response? Amen. John?
0: Father, we thank you for these gifts. We thank you both for these children and then each other. Um, we ask that you would make us good stewards of all of these things that you've blessed us with. But most importantly of your gospel, that it would be on our lips. that We would tell people, we would remember it ourselves and we would tell people about it. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Help us to love and to forgive each other. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Um, We're going to take our tithes and offerings at this time. So if you're on the outside most seat on your row, there's a basket underneath that seat. And you can just pass it along to the inside. And if you're on the inside most seat, just hold on to it until an usher comes and grabs it from us.
2: service, uh, we are going to be uh, considering the Lord's table. Uh, and so to have a little bit of a conversation, maybe about it uh, beforehand, um, uh, I think it's going to be important for us to, to maybe consider some things so that we can um, uh, approach the taking of the elements together, uh, maybe with a, a new light and, and certainly a right heart. Um now, I think that uh, it is, it is a, it, an intimidating task to, to get up here and to try to cram in uh, all the things about the Lord's Supper into just a short 10 minutes. Uh, one author expressed that the Lord's Supper is um, the whole Bible in summary form. Essentially the redemption, uh, the aspect of redemption being the main theme of the entire entirety of Scripture and all of Scripture being pointed towards Christ. Then it would make sense that the Lord's Supper uh, is the uh, symbol that reflects all of that truth. Um, but we're not going to cover all of it in entirety, which is, again, why I'm glad we're uh, going to be getting to do this multiple Sundays. Because we can maybe take some different angles and talk, have some different conversations as they come. Uh, but it is one of, of, when we approach this table, it is one that comes uh, with great beauty uh, and great meaning. Um, Richard Baxter, the uh, old Puritan poet expressed it like this. Nowhere is God so near to man as in Christ Jesus, and nowhere is Christ so familiarly represented to us as in this holy sacrament. Uh, because there's a lot of depth here, uh, there's a lot to uh, that, that goes on when Jesus institutes a, a a symbol based upon a symbol based upon an event, and so there's a depthness of meaning there. It makes sense why the Apostle Paul in Acts gets up after the Lord's Supper and is so inspired, he preaches on well into midnight. Uh, the Baptist didn't beat the Methodist to the buffet that Sunday, um, but never the case, again, we'll hold our conversation to just a short 10 minutes. What I thought maybe would be interesting to do, or at least to structure um, uh, a little bit of, of the teaching this morning, was to, to talk about maybe the different names for this, because uh, even, even if you've come here or spent any time or taken uh, the Lord's Supper here, we, we use some terms, and primarily probably that, the Lord's Supper, but we also uh, use interchangeably some other terms. Uh, and So whereas we probably say the Lord's Supper more often, um, uh, I grew up in a church calling it communion. Um, maybe if you, if you were in a uh, more liturgical church or a Catholic church, you called it the Eucharist, um, uh, or even like our uh, Seventh-day brothers and sisters who call it the New Passover, or simply the Passover. Uh, All of these, our time to talk and discuss these is not to point to one as right uh, and the others as faulty, um, but to highlight a little bit about what the names themselves are highlighting. Because each name actually probably communicates a theological truth associated with this institution that the Lord has given us. And so uh, I thought we'd take that, take each one of those names, and just kind of, again, talk through it. Starting with the new Passover. Because I think the new Passover um, is, is a, a, a very traditional term in the late 1800s. It was actually a pretty uh, dominant uh, term amongst the uh, New England churches of the time. Um, because it, it, wanted, it, was a, it was a hearkening back to a root, a history. Um, and churches of the time would get together, and they would they would break the bread, and they would uh, drink of the cup, and then they would wash each other's feet, uh, pointing to the fact of this long scope of what it means to be a follower of Christ is built upon a foundation that comes uh, long before. God's plan of working this out has been his plan from the beginning uh, of time. And so they called it the New Passover to emphasize really what... Um, Uh, what the Lord Jesus did with his disciples on the night that he was portrayed because he had set up and prepared a Passover feast uh, for his disciples and guests to join, uh, and then he invited them in. As that feast says, he then was the host of it. Um, he gave then some specific meanings, in the interpretation. As the host did, uh, or as the, the patriarch of the family did at any of the Lord's Supper, they would go through uh, the various processes and they would explain uh, all the different interpretations of each one of those elements so that then the family and those gathered uh, can do two things. And I think the two things that uh, the Passover was intended to do uh, are just as true for us to do as we participate in the new Passover. Um, Those two things uh, are simply to remember and to proclaim. They were remembering and proclaiming their redemption from Egypt. Uh, We get this in Exodus 12, 14. It says, this day shall be for you a memorial day. Remember. A day of remembrance. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Later on in verses 25, it says, And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, and he has promised you, you shall keep this in your service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, you shall proclaim. shall remember and you shall proclaim it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses this was a remembrance of an event where the Lord demonstrated an option of choice to either follow in his statutes or choose his judgment And the people of Israel were redeemed, were called back, were were given then back to their holy place and their holy land that God had planned for them, delivered from the Egyptians' hands. And this whole Passover feast was was designed so that every time that they celebrated, every time that they sat down, they would remember what he did. Not what they did to deliver themselves from Egypt, but what he did. And not only do they remember that, but then they, they proclaim it. And they would then proclaim it to the next generation. And the Lord's Supper was instituted for the same reason. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians writes this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the, that the Lord Jesus on the night when his, when he was betrayed took, uh, took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance. To remember. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way. He also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we remember and we proclaim when we enter into the Lord's table at the Lord's Supper. Now, Lord's Supper is another term, uh, again, the one that we probably typically go to and use here more often, again, not to emphasize anything in particular above the others, but to emphasize something true, which is it is not our supper. It is the Lord's supper. He stands, of course, as the host, and as the host who's done the work, he makes an invitation to us. He invites us to come in. He is the one who is provided. He is the one who has merit He is the one who is worthy and holy. And as we stand apart from him, we have none of those things. And when it's important, if we put our faith only in ourselves to cure that problem, then we will live and and eventually die with that problem still intact. But because the Lord is gracious and because the Lord is sovereign, he has given the invitation over to us to be welcomed to his table as he is the provision. This is ultimately what uh, is made clear when he he gets to the point of the interpretation in the process of the Passover, when he says, this is my body, this is my blood. He is saying, well, you have accounted in the Passover in remembrance of an event. Now, I'm telling you, the new interpretation is that you remember that event only as it foreshadows me. He took the meaning, which was the same, and made the subject abundantly clear. This is about me. And as Lord, and as the one who hosts and, uh, this feast, I call you. This is probably where we get the term, or what at least is emphasized out of the term, communion, um, probably clearest and, um, and, and and seen because communion um, speaks to the profound way in which we participate in uh, Christ's death and resurrection. The same Greek word where where they get the the. The term communion from in 1 Corinthians is one that can be loosely translated to partake, to come in. Uh, And so there is something about the Lord being the host and that the Lord as host has invited us to come to his table. And there is beauty and richness in that invitation and something to be celebrated uh, about, getting, getting to know that we have no place to be standing there. As enemies of God, we shouldn't even be in the room let alone because of the work of Christ on the cross, he says, put your faith in me and I welcome you not just into the room, but down at the table as my family. This is the great invitation. Maybe you here are here this morning and maybe so, so many other times have, have, have wondered, how can a God be ever for me when so often I just live my week and forget about him? This table then is for you. This is why we gather to remember that he is utterly for us. And that is a beautiful picture. And with that, we should respond then, probably appropriately, with thanks. This will be our last uh, name, because some of y'all have probably grown up uh, calling it the Eucharist, um, which is just a, a, um, a word based on the Greek um, for thanksgiving. This is the, from the side of, of when he broke the bread, he gave thanks. And in this, I think we are supposed to go and approach the table with thanksgiving. Giving thanks, that he is the one who has um, that, that has put this together and done the work, that he has invited us, and our response to that invitation should be that of thankfulness. Now, that's gonna draw on a lot of emotions, and I hope you focus in on those emotions as we go into the various corners here in a minute and, and uh, grab the elements, because um, with Thanksgiving, we know that there, that there is a side of just immense joy, I mean, if it wasn't abundantly clear, this is what we were talking about, that the, that the Lord has done a great work and he has offered that to us and we should respond with great joy. Yet, we know that there's not in opposition of understanding that there's some somberness here too, that the real depth of the motion uh, is an intermixture play of the two, that we are thankful, so utterly joyful we have a spot, but we know that it came at a great cost. And so let us reflect on that great cost on which we res- we get this invitation. And I will say, if you've never accepted that invitation, then then this meal probably shouldn't be for you because it doesn't then symbolize in your life uh, its entire purpose. But I will say if if you haven't done that, then there's no reason you can't take this today, because right now you can say, Lord Jesus, I accept your invitation to the table. You can confess your sins and realize you're not worthy and call upon him who has made Uh, The proclamation to us all that it is my death, my resurrection that proves life and that life is an abundant offering to you. And so maybe you need to take this time in getting the elements to ask ask Jesus to do that work he has promised in the first place. Whatever it is and however you need to respond, this is the time that we'll go ahead and ask y'all to stand up, head to the corners, grab your elements and come back together and we'll partake as one. Mm often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes until he comes because one day we won't be doing this again one day we won't need to have a symbol because we will have the savior and we will be at a table we'll be sharing a meal but it'll be the feast of the lamb in perfected body with no more sin with no more suffering but until then for I received from the Lord would also deliver to you. The Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. pray. Father, it is amazing that in all the ways that you could bring about salvation, you chose to break yourself. Such suffering demonstrated through your son is a testimony of your great love and pursuit of us. And so as we remember this work this morning, remind us of the salvation continuing to work out in our lives. So upon that continual work, we ask until you come, come quickly Lord Jesus come amen now we're actually y'all can stay standing because now we're actually going to transition outside uh, to the baptistry to conclude our service with some baptisms so y'all gather up all your stuff and we'll conclude outside
0: so as we discussed um, what order to teach these um, the Lord's Supper, or communion, or or, or do we teach baptism first? Because you can kind of argue, well, maybe that's the first act of, of the disciple, or the follower of Jesus. Or or maybe we should teach um, the, the parental dedication first. And as we thought about it, we realized you really can teach them in any order. Each one of them uh, tells a part of a big story um, that's certainly very important. and And we get to see the little ones dedicated with their families and then we know they're trained up. And at some point, Lord willing, they put their trust in Jesus Christ to save them. And we're all part of, of that story together. And, and at some point, they partake in communion. They come to the Lord's table first for salvation. And, and then again as that, that image of, of trusting in Christ to save us. The, the work he did. I mean, what kind of a God breaks himself? That's, that's not a God we would expect. A God who chooses to be broken for the sake of his creation. Um, that's, that's not how people do things. We don't, we don't work that way. Again, we see in the news every day more and more examples as it seems like the more power someone has, the more likely they are to abuse it. And here we have an omnipotent God who instead serves and breaks himself for us. It's an, an amazing picture. The child partakes in communion as they get older and they, after they've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ in spirit. And then they accepted the broken body and blood in that symbol and accept the freedom it comes with, Um, with the opportunity to accept the gift of eternal life. We're not going to do the traditional invitation like we normally do this morning, but in a moment, but I I hope that you clearly recognize that that doesn't mean there's not an opportunity to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning. That response um, is between you and him, but hopefully if that happens this morning, you'll share that with us sometime in the coming week. And they accept the freedom that comes with having had somebody else give them the gift of eternal life and forgiveness. And then naturally, they want other people to know. In Romans 10, 13, and 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then when they call on him if they've not believed? How are they going to believe in him if they've not heard? How are they going to hear unless someone tells them? How will someone preach unless they are sent to tell them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is typically, baptism is typically the first act of the ambassador as we experience it here as Christians. We follow our mission as agents in the kingdom of God. And this is that mission so that you know. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the other day I got to, to reteach um, through the, the kind of introductory videos that we do for people who come to the website and the distinctives of us as Christians. What makes us different from the rest of the world that we are Christians? What is it that we believe and proclaim? Us as Baptists, um, us as, um, as a local body of believers, and us as ministers. And one of the things that I talked about that, that really is a distinctive from the churches I grew up in was that we all have the opportunity to all answer this call that in fact the minute you come out of the water as a baptized person you should now your eyes should change and you should begin looking for people that you can baptize and that's not just for the paid church staff with seminary degrees in fact um, this morning we've already baptized a couple of people and both times dads were baptizing their children um, this service, again, we're going to see that. We're going to get to see John Sturrock uh, baptized. He's one of the ministers here. And then the other two people being baptized are going to be baptized by their dad. It's a great honor to baptize somebody. Um, and, and we all should have that eye. This is our mission to go to teach, to make disciples and to baptize. Um, and it's, it's not just for the professionals, so to speak. There really is no such thing. Um, numerous places back the, in the Old Testament, Leviticus, we see where cleansing is required. Um, and we know that at least a thousand years before Jesus, people were, in the Jewish world, they were immersing people in baths that look shockingly similar to this. When you go to Israel and you see the mikvah baths, they look just like this. What they were experiencing every time they went to the temple, what Jesus would have experienced, what his people would have experienced, what his followers would have experienced, is the mikvah bath. And it was um, tavila immersion, that they experienced. It meant a lot of different things to them. A lot of times it had to do with purity. But we find these over Israel that that are a thousand years before Christ. There's an urgency to it. Um, For those of you who have not ever been baptized as a believer, that you've not taken that step as a follower of Jesus Christ. Whatever you experienced as a child, um, whether you experienced some version of this or not, The opportunity to be baptized as a believer, as a proclamation, is not something to be avoided. There's no reason to avoid it. There's no reason to not go ahead and experience that and proclaim it as a believer as well. The first act of proclamation. And so whatever you experienced, our call to you and not ours, we believe the Bible's call to you is to come and be baptized, to have that example. It doesn't mean that what you experienced as a child was somehow evil or wrong or anything like that. It just means you have the opportunity to proclaim to everybody the newness of life. Why would you not want to do that? Usually it's fear-based, which is precisely the point. We're all going to be afraid of that, and we need to be able to live that out in a way where our courage and our faith overwhelms our fear. So I would encourage all of you. We talked about having a stack of bathing suits handy. Uh, They're like, anybody else who's like, you know what, it's time for me. And so we, we would love, if that's you, if you've never done that, let us know. and We would love to set up a time um, when you get a chance to do that. So that being said, so there's an urgency to it. Listen to what, listen to what Ananias, who is the man who came and healed Paul and was involved in Paul's uh, kind of confession. Ananias says to the, uh, to the Saul at the time who became the apostle Paul, And the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. There's no no reason to wait. You can see their Jewish root here, Ananias, a devout Jew, talking about the the cleansing of sin, bathing, the washing away, but we know it can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Being dunked under water won't save you, otherwise your nine-year-old brother would have saved you when he dunked you under, when you were about seven years old in the pool. That's, that's not how that works. It is the right conscience. Listen to even what the Apostle Peter says, because he, he leaks salvation and baptism, but it's, it's not the baptism. It's not the water that saves. Listen, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, talking about the flood, actually, of Noah, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Though the baptism is there, it is an appeal. It is the appeal that saves us. It is the calling upon the name of the Lord. Save me. The the, the thief on the cross was not baptized, but he had the appeal. Remember me, he said to Jesus. That's what saves. That's what gives us the right relationship with God. That and that alone. So the appeal to Christ. We've seen the symbol of washing, the symbol of being made right. Being made pure, those who are followers of Jesus have been purified. You cannot get any more or less pure. You cannot make impure what God has made pure. It doesn't work that way. Beyond purity, it also carries the imagery of death, burial, and resurrection. Um, so Jonathan, if, you wanna, if you're ready, if you want to come. Are you going first? Who's going first? No. Jonathan, Jonathan, you going first? Come on out, come on out, guys. And... So Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can those who have died in sin still live with it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory, by the, to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So through, through these experiences today, we see that God has a plan for us to be made pure. And we see that He has invited us to His table. We see that He wants us. He has chosen us. There's no such thing as someone who goes unwanted on this earth. He wants us. He has chosen us. He invites us to His table. Um, and then He invites us to be a part of His mission, to be His ambassadors, to testify in His name. I pray that every person, wherever you are, you will accept whatever invitation is sitting before you from God right now. Walk ye therefore in the newness of life.